One of the ways you can tell what it is a person loves is by watching what they do when the thing that they love gets violated. I have a good friend who loves logic. Uh, his name is Richard. Uh, he just he loves it when things are coherent and ordered and sensible, and he hates it when that gets violated. For example, he, he hates it when people misuse the word literally. Like his kids will say, because they've been studying too hard, said, my head literally blew up. And he wants to say that, and this is a little grisly, but unless there are scattered brain fragments on the floor, your head didn't literally blow up. Now, I know another guy, uh, his name's also Richard, but he, he loves order and beauty, you know, and he hates it when cupboards and shelves and drawers are just haphazardly filled and things are strewn about and books are left out of order, not alphabetized properly. But unfortunately, he lives in a house where sometimes that happens, where, where closets are just overflowing with stuff jammed in there and, and cupboard drawers are left open with a haphazard assortment of things in them and, and, and people tease him by misaligning the things that are on his shelves and see if he notices. He hates that. <laughs> you can tell what somebody loves because when it gets violated, they just start to go bonkers a little bit. A writer, an online guy named Walker Moore, posed this question. He said, what do you think are God's pet peeves? What is it that God cares about so much that he can't stand it when it gets violated? Now, I think to be clear, God probably loves everything that he created. He looked out over all creation and said, it's good. It's, it's very good. So if we pollute the oceans, if we destroy a rainforest, if we punch a hole through the ozone layer, I think probably God hates that. God thought of music, so when we write bad music, it dishonors God. But none of that stuff, I imagine, is right there at the top of God's list. And it turns out there actually is a list in the Bible of stuff that God hates. (laughs) So those of you who are in person for the first time in a long time, you picked a great week to be here. We're going to go through God's hate list. How awful is that? If you have your Bibles or your devices, let me invite you to turn with me in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 6, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 19. Just listen as I read those verses, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. We've been learning over these past five, now six months, as we've studied the Sermon on the Mount, that we all have our own little kingdom, our own little sphere in which what we say goes. And it starts with our body. And that's where this sort of starts. This is what gets talked about here. Haughty eyes. When somebody at a restaurant demeans a member of the wait staff, when people who are smart or pretty or rich get all puffed up about that, 
When people get dismissed because of the accent with which they speak or the color of their skin or the culture they come from, God hates that. The scripture goes on to talk about a lying tongue, somebody who breaks a promise, a spouse who breaks a vow, a politician who deceives people. That that wounds the heart of God. It goes on again, hands that shed innocent blood. When the hands that God gave us to create and to reach out with compassion to help other people are used to commit violence or to clutch tightly to resources that could give life to somebody else. When those hands are used to write emails that stab somebody in the back or wound somebody's heart, it grieves the heart of God. And the list goes on. And the summary comes right at the end. Now, in a text like this, and if you've read through the Bible, you've encountered this expression before, it'll say something like this, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable. And we read it and said, now, what does that mean? He thought of six, and then he thought of another one at the end and sort of tacked it on. No, it's a figure of speech. It's a very well-known ancient figure of speech. It's a poetic way of emphasizing the final item on the list. If we were doing it in modern day, we would set it in bold type or emphasize it in red or underline it. The last thing on that list is to sow discord, to violate community, to wound God's dream of shalom, of peace. Judge somebody, belittle somebody, exclude somebody, use somebody. Some of the horrific activities of our day, engage in human trafficking, abuse a spouse, betray, stop the life of an unborn child, ridicule a person with a disability, or just, just live in a world where those things are going on every single day. And don't do anything about it when you could. Just close your eyes and shut up your heart and suit yourself. Here's the point of that text. What God values above every other thing in all of creation is human beings. Now we don't say that to be egocentric. It's consistent with the account of creation. But here's where it gets pointed. Not only does God value human beings above everything else in all creation, when a human being is mistreated, it deeply offends the creator and the judge of all things. The whole history of Israel, the entire story of the Old Testament, the whole point of the law, the burden of those prophets, that unique moral force in the world, the prophets, the whole burden of that was so that people could know exactly this about God and about reality, that people matter. And then one day comes this rabbi, this man, Jesus, and he teaches remarkably the Sermon on the Mount. And he says near the beginning, we've looked at this, Matthew 5, 17, says, don't think, not for a second, Don't think that I've come to abolish all of that, the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Anybody who puts aside the least of these things and teaches others to do the same, they in turn will be called the least. 
And then what comes next in the Sermon on the Mount, an intellectual tour de force of such brilliance. This man takes centuries of the world's greatest wisdom, the teaching of the law and the prophets, and he summarizes it. He gives us kind of the cliff notes version. The greatest teaching that humanity has ever received, distilled into three short chapters in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus isn't done. Now he outdoes himself And he creates the cliff note on the cliff notes. Jesus here is going to summarize the most influential talk ever delivered into the greatest ethical maxim ever devised. And here it is. Matthew 7, verse 12. And so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up all the law and the prophets. This is discipleship for everyone. I don't care whether you believe in God or not. I don't care what you think about the miraculous or the supernatural or life after death. You can start with this. This will give you enough to keep you busy all day long. If you were experiencing homelessness, life on the streets, Jesus says, how would you want to be treated How would you want people to talk to you or not talk to you? To look at you or not look at you? Do that. If you were about to receive that email that you're in the process of writing, how would you want it to read? Would you want to inject a little bit of affection into it, a little bit of encouragement? If you were having an argument, what would would a golden rule argument look like? Part of the genius of the golden rule is that we usually focus on how we are being treated. How did your day go? And what we usually mean when we ask that question is, how did people treat you? How did life treat you? But the golden rule, it turns that the other way around. How did you treat people today? How did you treat life today? That's the perspective of the golden rule, and it's the genius of the golden rule. The golden rule, you have this in your, in your notes, those of you who are watching online, the golden rule is tremendously empowering because it makes you an agent in the world and not just a victim. You are not just the victim of circumstances of what other people have done to you. You are the agent of constructive change in the world. What did you do to them? What did you do for them? What did you do with them? Because, I mean, honestly, and we know that, we've known that for the past four or five months, every day these days is not a win-the-lottery kind of day. These are hard days. But they can still be golden rule days. You can use the golden rule with people that you like. You can use the golden rule with people that you don't like. And you may find that you start to like them more. You can use the golden rule while you're driving. You can use the golden rule while you're texting. You can use the golden rule by not texting while you're driving. Can I get an amen on that? You can use it across cultural divides. You can use it across generational divides. You can use it with people that have ethnic or gender or orientation or religious differences. 
You can use it with people of different personality types. I'm an introvert, but this is an extrovert. How would an extrovert like to have it done unto them? It's why the golden rule is golden and not just a rule. A lot of rules just tell you what to do. Don't exceed 100 kilometers an hour. That requires no imagination whatsoever. The golden rule is all about imagination. Jesus is actually teaching you to begin by looking at your heart and then you have to stretch out your imagination. What would it be like to be in their shoes? How would I like to be treated? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this centuries ago about the golden rule. He said, you know, it was rather clever of Christ to state it this way. I love thinking about the cleverness of Jesus. He goes on, he says, the, the only example he sets forth is us ourselves. And it's so clear that you don't need glasses to understand Moses and the law. Thus, you are your own Bible, your own teacher, your own theologian, and your own preacher. Whatever you would have done to you. In the golden rule, I take the other person and I put them on par with me. They're not a thing to be used. They have desires, they have feelings, intentions, dreams, fears, just like I do. And I get out of myself and I try to imagine. Again, this is an act of imagination. What would it be like to be that age, to be that person, to be that gender. And as you use it, you begin to move from ego, which is about me, to love. And that movement is inexhaustible. Jesus deliberately says, in everything that you do, do the golden rule. How broad is that? I mean, in the ancient world, you occasionally come across something that sounds similar. It's sometimes been called the silver rule. But it's the negative version of this. Don't do to others what you wouldn't want others to do to you. But the golden rule is a call to action, not just a call to avoidance. It's a call to be involved, not just not to be involved. And it's an unlimited opportunity to use initiative and creativity as a force for good in other people's lives. And not just that. It's meant to be universal. Jesus doesn't just say, do this for your own brothers and sisters. He doesn't just say, do it for Christians. Do it for people who believe like you. Do it for people who look like you. No, Jesus uses a very specific word here. The word that he uses is anthropos. Those of you who have been through university, many of you had to take a first-year course in anthropology. That's where we get the word. It's the study of all humankind, the broad swath of humanity. It means you do the golden rule for people who are your friends. You do it for people who are your enemies, people that look like you and people who look nothing like you. And Jesus not only taught this golden rule message, he lived a golden rule life. If I were a leper back in Jesus' day, I would want to know the warmth of human contact. But no rabbi, no teacher, no person 
would touch a leper. Jesus did. If I were a little kid, I'd want to be acknowledged. I'd want to be blessed. But back then, little kids were so far down on the ladder of status and importance that people just didn't care about them, didn't acknowledge them. But Jesus did. If I were a prostitute driven into that life just to survive, I'd still want to be treated with respect and dignity. No rabbi would do that. But Jesus did. Right up to the very end, when Jesus is there hanging on the cross, and there beside him is another man, he says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus doesn't say, are you kidding me? You defy God your whole life long, and now you're being executed as a criminal. You ask me to do you a favor? He just says, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. I got this. I got this. Jesus lived a golden rule life. He taught a golden rule message. He died a golden rule death. And then he started a golden rule community. And you're here today and you're watching today because you're part of it. Sometimes we make life so complicated We wonder, what should I do with my life? What if I don't get into the right school? What if I don't get the right job? What if I don't have the right... What if I'm missing out? I'll tell you what. Do the golden rule. No life that is lived by the golden rule is misspent, no matter how unimpressive it may look by human standards. And no life that violates the golden rule is well spent, no matter how impressed other people might be by it. In the book of Acts, if you want to flip with me, Acts chapter 10, in verse 38. In the book of Acts, there's a little phrase that Peter uses to describe Jesus' life. Now remember, in Acts, he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles. These aren't people who are steeped in Jewish culture, the culture of Jesus. So he can't use the religious language of Israel. The Old Testament scriptures, they wouldn't have any memory or significance or relevance for them. He's just got to explain Jesus in a way that they can understand. And so this is how he sums up the life of Jesus. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good. How much money do you need to go around doing good? How high does your IQ have to be to go around doing good? I mean, how fast does your network connection have to be? How much talent do you have to have? One of the great searching questions of life has always been this one. What what is it that I want on my tombstone? How is it that I would want my own life summed up? Here Peter's trying to describe his friend Jesus, and it's just this. He went around doing good. What does it mean to go around doing good? Whatever you would have others do to you, you do to them. That's the golden rule. When we gather here, and Jody, you mentioned this, and I was grateful for it. 
when we gather here, whether in person or online, it's for life change. It's not just because we're looking for something to do on a Sunday morning. It's for life change. The only way to come to really understand and believe the words of Jesus is not just to read them incessantly or to study them abstractly, it's to do them. This week we're talking about the golden rule. Does anybody want to guess what the application of this message is going to be? Do the golden rule. When? Every day. Where? Everywhere. To whom? Everybody. How? With Jesus' help. And to make this as concrete as I know how, start at home. Start with whoever it is that's closest to you. Run a little experiment. As you go through the day, see how many moments, how many interactions you can make golden rule moments. You can even keep score if you want. Just don't share your scorecards because that's, that's not what this is about, right? How would the golden rule apply in this moment? And ask Jesus to help you with this. Just imagine what it would look like if every home ran on the golden rule, if every marriage, if every parent-child interaction, marital infidelity, betrayal, child neglect, broken homes, they'd just be wiped off the table. Sin would be pretty much wiped out in our homes. Golden rule homes would be places of dignity and healing and strength and love and joy. So this week, if you want, make it a golden rule home. Or maybe there's a particular relationship where you say, this week, I'm going to do my best to be a golden rule friend. Or how about this? I was watching, some of you watched that terrible footage of of an irate customer who refused to wear a mask, hurling racial slurs at a store clerk at TNT. Why not be a golden rule shopper? Remember that the person on the other side of the counter is a human being. And have a golden rule moment with them. How about the work that you do? What would it look like for you to work the golden rule this week? Whether you work for a paycheck or a volunteer, work is the creation of value. How are you going to do that? It's part of how we make the kingdom come. God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven by observing the golden rule. I had the experience a couple of years ago of riding on a Mississauga transit bus. And I wish I had captured the name of the bus driver because he was magnificent. He welcomed every person who stepped on his bus. Many of them he knew by name. He welcomed by name. He talked to them as they came on board. He talked with them while they were on board. He mentioned the events of the city. He oriented them to the stops in case they were unfamiliar. Can you imagine what it's like to be a lonely person climbing onto a bus to take a lonely ride to a lonely job? But the people that hopped off his bus, they didn't feel like strangers anymore. They didn't feel excluded. I didn't feel depressed because I was riding the bus. He had an incredible sense of humor, and he made that ride the high point of my day. And the kingdom of God came down just a little bit on a transit bus. So this week, I mean, here's the challenge. We, We seize the opportunity 
to be part of the adventure of golden rule living. See how many interactions you can have with other people where you creatively exercise a golden rule moment. And when you forget, because you will forget, when you get it wrong, when you revert back to your own ego, don't beat yourself up about it, but confess it. That's what grace is for. It's why Jesus died on the cross. It's why he shed blood so that we could be forgiven and empowered again and again by the power of the resurrection and then get back into the golden rule flow again. And as you live the golden rule this week with Jesus' help, I think you'll find a new life growing inside of you. You'll find that you're a little bit less self-preoccupied. Maybe you feel yourself being a little more loving. Your imagination will stretch and grow in good ways. People might want to be around you more. You'll have more moments of sheer joy. You'll be more invested in other people's flourishing. You'll begin to discover that the kingdom of God is real, and you'll enjoy this partnership that you have with him in making it real for people. And you'll learn that the law and the prophets, what they were talking about all of those centuries ago, is in fact more relevant than you ever imagined. You'll come to believe, to know deep in your soul that it's true. It's just the way things are. In fact, the golden rule under Jesus' power is so strong and so available that it's actually how we're going to close the service today. We're not doing a closing song. We're not doing a closing prayer. We're not going to do a fancy benediction. We're going to do the golden rule. We're actually going to stop quite abruptly. And you can respond to this message however you want to respond to it. But how would you respond if you were given this message? You have time to do the golden rule right now so that you can remember this week and you can begin to put it into practice. You can do it with somebody sitting right next to you. You can do it with somebody sitting in front of you or behind you. You can do it this afternoon with a friend that that you've been thinking about as we've been talking about this. There's lots of people in your life who could use a smile or a word of encouragement or a prayer or an invitation. You can do the golden rule while you're walking out of this room. You can express interest in somebody. You can encourage somebody and pray for them. You can use it when you get to the place that you were parked. You can use it when you're driving off this property into your own driveway. The service is now done. Go and do to others what you would have them do to you. Seriously, I'm not kidding. We're done. Get out of here.